Welcome to Same Old City, an independent York City fans podcast. My name's Simon Craft, and who else is here? It's the master of disaster, Ben Aspinall. Well, Ben, uh, we're through to the next round of the FA Cup. We're unbeaten in five games. We've made, we've got two consecutive clean sheets for the first time this season. All sounds pretty good. So why am I not quite feeling on top of the world about York City? I think it's because we struggled to score past um, a side that come from a town with a smaller population, Haxby. That may have something to do with it. It may be that in the last few days, I've spent three hours of my life watching us toil against, with all due respect, a village from Suffolk. Would you? Did you? Did you find it suffocating? Oh, I did. Mm, yeah. Is it Suff- Suffolk? Yeah, uh, that's uh, that's where they're yeah. from. Yeah. So I didn't mean. Lit- oh God, no, that'd be awful. No, no, it wasn't. I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. Oh, thank goodness. So we're going to be covering both the Needham Market games in all their glory, as it were. We're going to consider our chances of advancing through the first round, now that we know who we'll be playing there. Uh, look at recent goings-on at the club, including a couple of interviews of interest that came out in the last week. And also preview the upcoming trips to Eastleigh and Chesterfield. But let's start with Saturday's game. The FA Cup fourth qualifying round, home tie against Needham Market. Now, Ben, you were not across for this one, were you? I think you had other plans. Yes, I was at a beer festival. Yeah, I think you made you made the correct choice in the end on that one. Um but I'm sure you were you were following along avidly on Twitter at least. I was glued to my phone. Uh, but let's start as we tend to do by looking at the lineup. A few changes. The main one was that Rory Watson made his debut in goal in place of Ryan Whitley. Uh, Adam Crooks was back after a spell out with injury. And it seemed, just from looking at the names on the team sheet, that we had four centre midfielders on the pitch. So we had Woodyard, Batty, Dyson and Burgess, which made me think, possibly, are we playing some kind of diamond system? As it turned out, it was something different, which we'll come on to. Didn't fill the bench, only six from a possible seven with all the injuries in the squad. But we did see Scott Barrow and Mitch Hancocks named among the subs. But yeah, did you have any thoughts on that? Or were you too busy quaffing your cascale? Well, whilst I was nursing a um, half a pint of a 4.5% ale from uh, down south, I did look at that lineup and I was a little bit um, yeah, confused, as you mentioned, by the four uh, central midfielders playing. Um, I wondered if Dyson had been shunted out onto the wing or perhaps, um, as you say, a diamond, someone playing in the hole behind the strikers. I just thought the lineup and the formation would probably be immaterial. We'll turn up and this uh, market town from Suffolk will be put to the sword by our full-time professionals playing um, in front of a, um expectant crowd at the LNER and put my phone away. That's pretty much what happened to me from 3 o'clock onwards on Saturday. I mean, you've watched the highlights back, I think. Yes, that's correct. It was another fairly slow, uneventful first half, which we've had a few of recently. We were having a lot more of the ball not doing a huge amount with it. There was a lot of playing it around between the defence and uh, the centre mids. And it became clear after a while that we were actually playing 4-3-3 uh, with Scott Burgess in a slightly unfamiliar position on the right of the front three and, interestingly, Dippo out left uh, with John Lewis in the middle. Yeah, it wasn't really bearing much fruit. We were kind of, yeah, holding on to the ball a lot. We were 
trying to make things happen. Actually, no, that's not true. We weren't really trying to make things happen was, I think, the issue. We were sort of waiting for things to happen. The crowd started to get a bit restless with the kind of patient approach we were doing. I mean, Needham Market weren't really in the game. They had a couple of half chances, which you've probably seen from the highlights. But it was very much a case of, you know, we're having most of the ball. In my mind, it was, okay, well, eventually we'll score a goal, then they'll have to attack a bit, and then we'll probably get two or three. Yeah. Yeah, so like I say, they did have a few half chances Needham Market. Probably the best one was when Fallowfield gave it away and they kind of had a had a little interchange of passes, which was some some decent football to be fair. Uh, but it just ended with a fairly straightforward Watson save in the end. But I did I can remember thinking at the time, oh we might have might have let him in here. I mean you do have to remember they are uh, was it second in the division that they play in, you know, whilst it is noticeably lower than the standard that we play in, um, you know, they have been winning games this season. That breeds a mentality. That breeds a confidence. So it was no surprise that they were managed. They managed to force errors and you know uh, create half chance at the very least, wasn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think I mean we'll we'll sum up both games, but they they made a really good account of themselves um, over both games. You know, they they made us work hard. They were disciplined. We did have a decent chance where we hit the woodwork uh, not long before half time. Yeah, I mean the, the the chance that appears in in the highlights, it, it's it's a little bit of good build up, it's decent technique from from Dyson to, to get the shot away like he does. He's very very unlucky not to uh, to be getting hit the back of the net there. But you can see um, the frantic defense, you know, defense at, at, at play there. You can see that when we try to turn it on, when they try to put that difference in in the pyramid into play, you know, they they were looking a little bit shaky. So um, it's a shame we didn't test them far more often, especially in the first half. Yeah, like you say, it was good technique from Dyson. Um, and yeah, his volley just sort of cannon back off the bar. I don't know if the keeper maybe got a fingertip to it on the way. But yeah, either way, that was definitely the clearest chance uh, of the first half. But yeah, we went in at nil-nil at this point. Still expecting us to ultimately roll a couple of goals in. Mm-hmm. I mean, all jokes aside, like, you know, checking my phone at halftime at said festival like, you know you see nil nil you think oh uh, they'll get him in he'll have a he'll you know turn on the hairdryer he'll kick a few backsides and you know the second half will be a formality it was um, I definitely completely expected that to, to happen moving on to the second half this was when one of the, the highlights probably the afternoon was seeing their keeper uh, trotting over and uh, without meaning to, to cause offence to anyone he was what I would describe as a fat goalkeeper um, and I feel justified in saying that because he did the old grabbing his belly, doing the wobble in response mm-hmm. to the chance. So he was he was fully embracing it. Um, so Marcus Garnham was his name. Um, in mm-hmm. fairness to him, two very solid performances over both ties and some decent distribution as well. But he was that sort of uh, that classic lesser spotted non-league site of a fat goalkeeper. And it did bring to mind Wayne Shaw, you know, sitting on the bench, eating a pie for money for Sutton United. <laughs> <laughs> Has to be one of, the, one of the top FA Cup moments of history, would you not say? Um, I'd argue so. Um, I mean, you've got your, your Ricky Villas and your Steven Gerrards and all those moments in the FA Cup, but nope, never before has a goalkeeper um, brought the game into dispute by eating a pie for gambling money. But yeah, he was having a bit of banter with the fans. It was all good fun. And we fully expect him to be picking the ball out of the net a couple of times in front of the south stand. But yeah, the second half was 
proceeded in a very similar fashion. We were really struggling to get any fluency. Was uh, Kai Kennedy a half half-time change as well? No, that was... Um, I've got it down as 59 minutes when he came 59 on. 59 minutes. So but yeah. there was not really any significant highlights between the start of the second half and that change, which is probably why you thought that might have happened based on the <laughs> highlights. We did start to create a few chances. There was one where Dyson laid it off to Dippo not long after that, and he sort of had a low shot from quite a tight angle. Uh, keeper made a decent save with his legs at the near post. So we, we were starting to sort of threaten a bit more mm-hmm. in front of goal. Uh, we made another change with Shaziba coming on for Burgess, which I think was a switch to a four-four-two. then at that point. Um, and Shaziba uh, did look very dangerous after he came on. I mean, it's weird because he seems to look a lot better coming off the bench than he does actually starting games. There's been quite a few games, thinking about South End and games like that, where bringing him on against a tied defence, he looks like a real player. And then there's been other times when he's started and just been completely anonymous, so... Not entirely sure what's going on there, but he was involved in all the stuff we did last 20 minutes when I thought we did actually have the intensity that we'd missed for the rest of the game. And if we'd played like that last 20 minutes for all the game, I think we would have probably won comfortably. Mm. But Needham Market, we're still having a few chances. Um, you probably saw the the defensive header by Fallowfield where they flash the ball across goal uh, and there's a player just running in at the far post, but Fallowfield gets to it first. Um, so yeah, that was that was probably as close as they came, but then we started having some really decent chances. So with about ten minutes left, there was a decent little chipped cross by Sezeba to John Lewis on the edge of the six-yard box. I'm sure you've seen this one, and you really you would back him to score from there, wouldn't you? And he, he absolutely would. Yeah, it's, it's bread and butter. He's, he looks visibly annoyed of himself, doesn't he? Straight after the chance, which um, he would be. He's a consummate professional, Al Lenny. It's how annoyed he was with um, his inability to do better from there because it's um, he is challenged by by a defender. He has got a defender on him, but um, he manages to rise up and you know uh, to get a strong head on it. It should be direct. It should be uh, getting a getting some uh, play, get some effort out of the um, aforementioned uh, larger goalkeeper. There was a moment when we were attacking and Dyson kind of slipped over and almost let them in on the counter attack, uh, but luckily again they couldn't really force Watson into it. A difficult save. And then Sazebra again had a really decent attempt from distance that went just over the bar. Have you mentioned um, Dyson's little through ball to Sazebra, which forces the uh, last minute challenge? Um, I believe that's before Sazebra's chance, where uh, I think uh, Akinyevi wins, uh, wins back play. Dyson puts in a lovely through ball. Sazebra's through on goal, and the defender tracks back just in time to get a challenge in before Sazebra can get shot away. Uh, yeah, that that example is just fantastic defending from the needed market defender. You have to, you know, doff your, doff your cap for that one and say fair play to the lad. Zebra's got the pace. He's when he's away like that. I think we've seen how well he can strike a ball. We saw that against with the South End goal a few weeks ago. So for the defenders to get back and make that challenge when you know he's probably going to um, see his side to, uh, concede a goal, very very good defending from uh, from the lad. So Zebra had that shot just over the bar, and then ninety two minutes was probably the one that really should have gone in, which was... <laughs> so initially, Siziba has the shot, uh, which gets blocked by one of the Needham defenders just in front of the line, but it yep. comes out to Dippo on the volley, who hits it you know, on target, decent amount of power, and then, yeah, it's just an incredible goal line block uh, by the by the Needham defender. If, I mean, if I, I have... <laughs> Sorry, I've got the... Um... 
I've, I've got the highlights on another window just to open the, you know, reveal the behind the curtain a little bit. And I've got the highlights pause on that precise moment where the he- the ball is headed away by the defender on the line. And it's quite a work of art, actually, because you've got three defenders who are on the floor, one of whom is the lad who's headed it away. And it's just brilliant. Three lads in front of the goal, all on the floor. The the, the dictionary definition of last-ditch defending, hang it in a Louvre, and then, and then Dippo diving straight to his knees, hands on his head, it's, it's flabbergasted by how that's managed to stay out. There was talk on social media and forums, wasn't there, about it being a possible handball in the line. Um, I think the ball is moving too quickly to tell properly. But I don't want to. I don't want to be the one that says, "Oh, yeah, it's definitely handball in the line. We've been cheated, etc." When the clearance is as just artistically, aesthetically beautiful as that. Yeah, I mean, it didn't look like a handball to me at the time, and it doesn't on the highlights either. So I, I don't think there's, there's much to that. But yeah, that was when you knew it's not going to be our day. Um, and not long after that, yep, the final whistle blows. So we've been taken to a replay. Now, I don't know if you've managed to catch it with Ardley's post-match interview. Um, I think it's fair to say that um, one or two players may have come in for some light criticism. Would that be uh, okay to say, Simon? I'd say maybe 11 players. Actually, no, that's that's <laughs> not true. 10, because he did single out Fallowfield for praise and basically say, why can't you all be like Fallowfield? What, right-backs? But yeah, Ardley came across very angry. Not really a side of him we've seen before. Um, but yeah, he was singling out just the lack of running, the lack of intensity, Kept making unfavourable comparisons with his Solihull team from the last couple of years. Do you not bring up ex-partners when you're trying to explain to <laughs> your current partner why they're doing something wrong? Oh, all the time, absolutely. And it always goes down really well. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, let's look at the tweets we had in response to that game. So Liam Holmes said, playing four central midfielders, three of which aren't up to it against a team as immobile as that was a mistake. Dippo stuck out wide. Adley has some answering to do for that one. Another one from Luke Moore. Most important thing is we're still in the cup. Need a market like buses. You wait 101 years to play them and then play them twice in three days. <laughs> Matthew Clegg said, not sure how Dyson played the full 90. Surely Castro for the last 20 would have been worth a go. Baffling lineup and lack of pace and width. Another midweek trip down south is exactly what this team could do without. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering that as well. I was thinking, you know, if Castro can't get a game here or can't even come off the bench then when is he going to because it seemed like it would have been ideal for someone with a creative spark like that as we'll discuss in the second leg maybe there were reasons why he's uh, not been selected recently but yeah we uh, we had to go again as the saying goes on Tuesday away at Needham Market now neither of us were mad or committed enough to uh, to make the journey down to Suffolk Tuesday night but I think we were both sat in front of our TV watching the big game Tuesday night, weren't we, Ben? Absolutely. Yep, I was comfortable on a settee. Wife next to me had a few uh, cans of ale. Uh, yeah, and I, 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 I uh, sat down and uh, I really, really enjoyed the game, actually. Did you? Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, that's interesting to hear. Do you want to just sort of run through how you saw the game then? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I think the, the manager made the right changes from the last game putting the right players to get the result that was needed on the night. I think tactically we're set up to be, I think we're a little bit slow again to start with, and it's a bit of a frustration watching this side at the moment. But, you know, um, they were cajoled into action when uh, when the away team got that 15-minute uh, goal to, to take a 1-0 lead. But Sorry, from what? there, I think... Uh, they t- they, what? What did you say about the 15th-minute goal? I don't yeah, remember that yeah. Um, Skamacha getting the goal in the 15th minute. Really, 
cajoled England into Scrib- really turning it around and putting in a performance. Uh, are you watching the England game? Yeah, why? What else was on? We were York City. We were playing our replay away at Needham Market. Were we? Yeah, what? Tuesday night. Did we win? Well, we'll come on to that. Oh. How, how did England get on? Well, England won 3-1. Oh, I don't that's know. good at least. I didn't, I didn't, if I knew York were playing, I probably still wouldn't have watched that anyway. But you know, <laughs> if I had known York were playing, then I'd at least check the scores. Oh, this is so embarrassing. So I'm going to have to, I might have to sit a bit this one out, actually, because I would just be winging it. If I'm honest, I didn't. Even, oh, this this is. Oh, is my face red? <laughs> well, as it turned out, City's faces were were red until the uh, last few minutes of injury time. Yeah, we jest, but you did actually watch the England game here, and no highlights have as yet been published. So you are running blind on this one. Is it fair to say? I am in the dark. Um, I've seen um, this massively deflected winner in the ninety millionth minute. Whatever it was, but uh, so that's all I've seen. Oh, and the uh, the footage of the fans applauding at the end, you know, called Burton for travelling, but that, that massive distance to watch our first ever game in Suffolk. Um, no, I, I I haven't seen anything else from the game, unfortunately. Again, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I thought there's no point watching the stream because Neil will kick him at the backside, and we'll stroll to a something to nil victory to spend our place in the FA Cup first round proper. To be fair, even having been to the home game, I still thought, okay, you know, it was one of those days. They made it hard for us. We didn't, we weren't quite at the races, but you could still see the golfing class between the teams. And on another day, Dippo's shot doesn't get headed off the line. You know, Dyson's volley goes in and it's, it's comfortable to no win. So I thought it would be a comfortable win, even in, in the replay. There were a couple of changes. So Castro did come in to make a start, his first in quite a while. Um, and Kennedy started as well. Uh, with Dyson and John Lewis making way. So I think it was kind of like a 4-2-3-1 with Castro, Kennedy and Burgess, the three behind Dippo, was how I interpreted it. Did you have any strong thoughts on, on that lineup? Or I guess you didn't even know the game was happening. So It did not scream width, did it? If you want to be positive about Burgess's return to the first team, you'd argue that he's you know um, uh, a playmaker from the middle of the field. Castro is the luxury player behind the striker, and Lord alone knows what Kennedy is. So it does, you know, it did not scream width in any way. Woodyard and Batty writes itself; they're going to sit in the midfield and try and create things from there. But yeah, again, you were just presuming and hoping against hope that there was enough talent, ability, and technique in its eleven players as opposed to the team to uh, to get us over the line. I would say, unfortunately. The Tuesday night performance was a fair bit worse than the Saturday performance, even though we ended up actually winning because, again, it was just kind of the turgid, slow, you know, not being able to create anything, players not making runs. It just it just all looked very tired. And, I mean, we'll, we'll look at some players in particular, but it is worth just talking about Castro and how he performed in this game because... Okay. I've been waiting for this. You would think, you know, if a player's been out of the team for a number of weeks, you know, waiting for his chance, and then he's got his chance, and it's against, mm-hmm. you know, lower opposition, you think you that would be one way you seize the opportunity, and, you know, you you do your best to, uh, to make an impression and show what you can do. And I've been a defender of Castro earlier in the season. Yeah. And I thought maybe once the team, the players around him improve, he'll look a bit better. This was genuinely a dreadful 
first half performance. He gave the ball away probably most times when he had it. He made only very vague attempts to kind of press or, you know, chase their runners. And basically, I think I might have been wrong about Castro is the uh, is the long and short of it. Well, that's a quite, um, you know, extreme and quite an alarmist reaction to my performance their side because I think I would I would probably agree with you early this season once we had a settled side and I think when we had Will on the, Will Harris on um, on the show I think he agreed with us I think we were all in, um, on the same page that a settled side around him would allow would free him up to be that luxury player kind of buzzing around behind Akinyemi um, you know following up into the box for opportunities so having not seen any action are you saying that like did not basically it was one of those incidents where nothing came off for him, you know, no matter what he tried. I mean, maybe it's unfair because you're always going to have off days. I mean, I mentioned John Lewis had a had an off day on Saturday, but it was more just the manner of it because, like I say, when you've been out of the team and then suddenly you're thrust in, you know, the manager's been here long enough that you should have started, you know, absorbing his instructions and understanding how to link up with your teammates and. He just still looked like he was he was on another planet a lot of the time, to be honest. And not questioning the fact that he definitely has ability, which is what, what makes it more frustrating. But yeah, I mean, let's go through a, a few of the bits of action that I noted down. So we did have a decent chance fairly early on with Fallowfield. Uh, got played through by Batty. And again, Fallowfield was one of the only players really trying to force things to happen. Um, so he had a shot that beat the keeper, but it was blocked on the line. There was one where Castro ran through um, and he had a couple of options either side of him and he just took a really tame shot from distance instead uh, which was was kind of par for the course really. Watson had a bit more to do this game as well because Needham were you know they were having a few chances of their own it was a much more even game I think and he did sort of what he needed to do really there were no amazing or spectacular saves. There was another one where Castro really overhit a through ball to Dippo uh, which was a really decent chance. And yeah, I mean, Dave Ward on commentary was was just sort of groaning at this point. And <laughs> I think we were all uh, doing similar. But yeah, it was, just a, it was just a really limp performance and not the kind of reaction you want to see when you've, you've had such a disappointing draw and you've had to make the journey and you want to see that reaction. I think what, what worries me is, as you say, the reaction is um, disappointing from from Saturday, but especially if you're there. And I think we've been in situations where we've seen one poor performance be followed by another, and you're not expecting it whatsoever. And it's you know added very much so by the difference in position, the pyramid between the two sides. I can only imagine the absolute horror, that sickening feeling in the pit of one's stomach when you're in the uh, away end and you think we can't be as bad as we were last time, and it looks like we might be. That's a really worrying and horrific feeling as a as a football fan yeah i mean i never thought that we were in danger of losing on saturday but we mm-hmm. absolutely could have lost the replay i think if they'd been a little bit smarter in front of goal or you know they just had a bit of luck it, it, you know it could have quite easily been one nil the other way um but yeah castro was poor kennedy also had quite a poor game it was it was sort of a question of who's going to be subbed off at half time although weirdly I don't think anyone was actually subbed off at halftime. It was the same 11 that came back out. So it's a classic, you got us in this mess, you get us out of it. But yeah, Castro was involved again, sort of early in the second half. Um, he was set up by Dippo and he just took too long over his shot. Didn't have the urgency. And again, that sort of uh, 
last ditch defending by Needham Market that we'd seen a few times. There was a couple of players sliding in to, to block his shot when he eventually took it. And not long after that, Castro did make way and Burgess came off as well uh, with Siziba and John Lewis coming on. But yeah, we still didn't really impose ourselves on the game even after those changes, I don't think. There were a couple of decent saves by Watson, particularly one from Ingram, the Needham Market player, who'd sort of created a chance for himself by turning past a couple of our players on in the box. And they looked quite dangerous on the counter-attack. I mean, I will say, I mean, we've got to give them massive credit, but they, they looked um, like they had similar fitness levels to us, I would say, as well. It wasn't <laughs> a case that they were flagging at any point. Right. Um, which, to say they're part-time players. On 78 minutes, Dippo had a very good chance. He was found by a long ball and he cut inside to beat a defender. And it's that chance that you would expect him to score nine times out of ten, but he just blasted it over. And I think it, you know, that's when he started thinking, ah, it's just, you know, it's not going to happen for us tonight. I was, mm-hmm. I was thinking extra time was inevitable, and that there was a very real possibility we were going out. On the commentary, they were, they were sort of discussing, would this be our worst ever defeat if it did happen? I mean, can you think of any, uh, of any that would have been up with it? I think the some of the ones in the eighties may have been a bit more horrific but it's diff- it's difficult to gauge because of the pyramid structure at the time Carmarthen and uh, Enfield spring to mind uh, more our era Hensford that was pretty grim wasn't it yeah they mentioned Hensford I guess partly because it meant we missed out on the uh, big game in the next round as much as anything mm-hmm. but yeah that was that was kind of the way the conversation was going at that stage and <laughs> uh, we hit the woodwork again with about four minutes left, and that was John Lewis hitting a low shot just from the edge of the area, which hit the post and then bounced straight into the keeper's arms, which was a, uh, yeah. Again, you just sort of thought, nothing's going nothing's gonna to go in for us. Quite an amusing moment on 90 minutes where Adam Crooks took a throw-in while lying down. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how else to describe that one, really. He sort of he won the ball back, and we were trying to quickly get it moving again. But he forgot that you actually have to be standing up to. Uh... I mean, do you? Well, I think you have to have both feet on the ground. I guess maybe you can be lying down if you have both feet on the ground. Yeah, if you've got your, you know, you got your knees up, feet planted. Don't see why not. I mean, I wouldn't do it, but <laughs> if I'm desperate for a counter attack, yeah, it's a different uh, interpretation than those people who do the old uh, forward roll and then. And then launch it. But, um, <laughs> Those people terrify me. Those ones you see them on YouTube, don't you? And old VHS from Christmases from years gone by, of it doing the old, you know, headstand, you know, forward roll, and launching it into a, a penalty area. Not a fan. But yeah, that was given as a foul throw. Was it? It was. Oh, what a, what a brilliant, brilliant story. Yeah, again, probably the the highlight of the evening. Um, until in the ninety second minute, corner was looped in. Needham Market won the header. There wasn't really anyone challenging their defender, but he didn't really get a great connection on it, and it just kind of looped back over him and fell to the onrushing Cordner, who hit a very sweet volley right through the forest of legs into the back of the net, or at least that was the way it looked. <laughs> Watching it live, having seen the other angle, it clearly is a, an own goal because uh, Cordner does hit the volley, um, but it's it's not going in, and it comes off someone's leg and goes in. And... Yeah, that, I almost felt sorry for the Needham Market players slumping to the floor because they'd put so much effort in. They'd, they'd yeah. matched us on the night, really. But ultimately, obviously, getting through to the next round was the main thing. And 
it's another injury time winner. So it's a good habit to be in. I mean, um, obviously, as someone who didn't watch the game, I don't want to try and pass off any opinions about what happened on night as my own. But having read, and I'm sure you're going to come to some tweets um, regarding the performance, so I'm sorry if I jump ahead a bit, but from what I gather, um, Cordner is looking a bit more trim, much fitter, and playing better football. Was that, whilst there was a gap in the pyramid between the two sides, is that something you noticed during the 90 minutes? Yeah, definitely. I think Cordner was probably our best player for both games against Needham Market. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, didn't get put under that much pressure defensively, but I think he does look fitter already. And again, he's one of the only players trying to make things happen when he's actually got the yeah. ball. You know, he's coming out of defence, he's looking for a forward pass, and then he's looking to make a run on beyond that, which, yeah, it's, it is promising. He's he's looking a lot more like the player we, we thought we'd signed. Um, obviously, yeah, we'll we'll see if he continues to do that against better opposition but I think he that has been a theme under Adley is that the improvement of Cordner and yeah although it ended up probably being a known goal I think um if it was given to Cordner then he probably deserved it but yeah let's look at the tweets so there was one about Cordner which was from Yorkio 9 uh, Cordner showed why we paid money for him hopefully he's settled after the move now it reminds me a bit of TY calm in defense midfield needs reading completely i don't know if that's a typo and some tough decisions to perhaps loan the likes of castro and hancocks or dyson to free space in the squad Den kelly said a very poor game corner the highlight he barely put a foot wrong clean sheet is always massively welcome with our confidence at an all-time low rock and roll nobody said agree about castro i thought both he and the burge were very poor watson looked shaky at times as well but made a couple of good saves and ultimately kept a clean sheet Awful performance, awful efforts, but the right result in the end. The very definition of an ugly win. And yeah, I think that's exactly what it was. It was an ugly win. But a win is a win. And that was kind of Ardley's attitude in the post-match interview. Although he acknowledged it was another very poor performance, he was sort of mm-hmm. like, right, we're in the hat. Let's just move on and, and sort of forget any of this ever happened, if we possibly can. <laughs> I mean, technically... Oh, he's in the hat, but the draw's been made, hasn't it? So would you say that we're not in the hat? Well, I'll be honest, I watched the draw and I didn't see any hats. So That's a very good point. Yeah. I don't know I don't know when the hat for one round gets replaced by the metaphorical hat for the for the next round. I mean, are we in the hat for That's the question. second round yet? I mean, I'd argue we're in the hat for the final. Well, you know, if you listen to uh Julian Ugler, <laughs> then we're we're aiming for the semi final or, or final. Her words, not mine. <laughs> We're one step closer. I just want to ask another question, Sai, about the performance. And actually, I'd say performance is, I think, a big question that a lot of uh, fans now are wondering is the goalkeeping situation. Even if we forget that David Stockdale is still with the club, um, how do you feel? Do you feel Rory Watson has now become number one? Or is it what or was it just to try and get some minutes into him? What, what's your initial feeling about the situation? Yeah, I have no idea, really, because Adley was asked about that and he said, look, there is no... Number one, he doesn't have a first choice at the moment. Whether it was that Whitley's error in the previous game had, had been a factor in the decision or whether he thought, well, it's time to give Watson a go in the cup, I'm not sure. But I think Watson, like I say, he you know, he will face much tougher challenges, but he he passed the this particular test. You know, we've we've had kept one clean sheet all season prior to this, and that's two in a row in his first two games. 
Um, I thought his distribution, particularly in the in the home game, he was trying to get things moving quite quickly. Again, mm-hmm. not always 100% convincing with that, but yeah, I thought overall he's probably done enough to keep the shirt, you know, for the, for the next couple of league games. Well, I would say he doesn't come across a particularly tall goalkeeper. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's just because he got used to Whitley, who is who is quite tall, but he um, he's not particularly imposing. But yeah, we're, I guess we'll see. But my assumption will be that Watson will probably start against Eastleigh now. Yeah, that was my interpretation again somebody who hasn't watched the two full 90 minutes. However, it seemed like a good opportunity against lower league opposition to try a new goalkeeper. From what I've heard and read, but not seen, uh, Watson seemed confident enough, uh, particularly from what I've read about the second game where there was some decent saves. It seems like the basics were done quite right. So maybe Adley fancies a bit of a change. Do you think that would, would be harsh on, on Whitley? You know, I think everyone wants him to succeed with him being a local lad and coming through the youth team and so on and we know he's a good shot stopper you know would we be giving as much time to someone who didn't have that affiliation to the club in the area I don't know and maybe it'll turn out that Watson isn't the answer and and then we look back at Whitley he's still young enough that he could you know prove to be a really decent goalkeeper particularly at this level don't really have any answers for you I'm afraid no but um, I, I would agree with you I think for this level, Whitley's very, very good. It's just the errors that have made, been have taken place have been quite. It's, it's the same for any goalkeeper. They're game changers, aren't they? The one at Ebbsfleet, the one in the last home game against Bromley, which is just so I don't want to say heartbreaking. That's very dramatic, but you know the last kick of the game, wasn't it? So it was. It was so so annoying. They get amplified. They get magnified when you when you're a goalkeeper. And he'd been working on his distribution. He was getting better at that. He was calm with the ball at his feet. You mentioned his height. He's a big lad. He was making good um, you know, saves. He was starting to claim the ball a little bit more. Maybe not enough to be, you know, uh, increasing his ability, but he was starting to use his um his height and his frame to get out, you know, for crosses and collect. So I, I, I thought the potential was starting to be realized a little bit more, as you mentioned, the Adley factor. And um, yeah, this change has happened for the cup games. So um, I'm not as certain as you, I don't think, about the Eastley spot being taken by Watson. I'm happy to be wrong, of course, but um, I'm not as certain as you are. So that is something we'll have to see at about half two on, on Saturday afternoon. Just looking ahead a bit in terms of the Cup, it's Chester away in the next round. did notice the club was maybe a little bit premature in saying we have been drawn away at Chester with the, with the graphic <laughs> Chester v York City before we'd actually won the replay, but... Yeah, it's a winnable tie, I guess. I mean, if we play like we did against Needham Market, maybe it'll be difficult. So Chester won 2-0 at Hartlepool of Sir John Askey in the fourth qualifying round. Not doing quite so well in the league. I think they're sort of mid-table. Yeah, I had a look at their form today because um, I actually thought about probably doing some research for the show, for the recording. Um, it's quite interesting. I don't think they've lost at home this season. They've got middling form. I don't believe they've lost at home in in league. Well, I got it down. They'd won four out of six home games, so their home form is definitely a lot better than their away form. Try and get them back to the LVR. That will be uh, and put them to the sword. That will show them. It's not the easiest tie, but again, we we could have had much harder ones. Obviously, no. I think you're right in all seriousness, Simon. I think it's very very winnable. Um, you're just praying somewhere along the line something switches it in training. Something switches on the on the um, on the pitch. We start to play a little bit better in terms of our fluidity. 
uh, and our confidence. Because I think we do have the right players to be putting uh, teams that are in a division below us away, never mind two or three divisions or whatever it was that needed market were. So here's hoping. Other news around the club. There were a couple of interviews by sort of key personnel uh, that appeared over the last week. Um, there's one from the club um, with Matt and Julian Ugler, um, sort of their views on how the first three months had gone. Um, did you manage to watch that one? Yeah, um, I listened to that. I, I really enjoyed it. They strike me as a, a really good team. They um, make up for the others' lack of knowledge or experience and certain factors, certain areas, and I, I think they come as a great pair. I enjoyed the refreshing honesty. Um, Matt, Matt was very clear on Matthew, as, uh, as Julianne was very keen to call him. It was very forthcoming about the steep learning curve and the mistakes that have been made you know, behind the scenes um, from when they uh, bought the club. So, you know, you can forgive mistakes if they're part of a learning learning curve, can't you? So there was nothing that I heard either of the two um, owners say that was alarming. If anything, them admitting certain deficiencies, particularly on the commercial side, um, there was some things said regarding the stadium, wasn't there, that I think we all knew, but it was good to have confirmed again by by Julianne. So, yeah, I came out from, from that interview feeling reinvigorated by the ownership situation. I think we're all worried about boredom, aren't we? We're all worried about... Um, the two of them being bored of their plaything, uh, but no, I, I came out feeling a little, uh, better about the situation. Uh, you know, reaffirmed, and also uh, looking up train times to London for the inevitable FA Cup semi final that we now are going to get into. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we referenced that it was uh, it was an amusing little uh, slip up, and they had a bit of fun with that. But it, it, yeah, it was good to hear in particular from Julianne because we haven't heard as much from her, and yeah, she was sort of acknowledging football's maybe not her seen traditionally but she had a lot of positive things to say about you know the match day experience and, and sort of a commitment to improving that and how they're listening to fans concerns but yeah they were both stressing how it's a long-term project and it's it's going to take time which I think is very sensible I mean it wasn't a difficult interview you know it was in-house with the club it, you know it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't exactly uh Bashir and uh Diana was it it wasn't Frost Nixon we're just naming interviews now, aren't we? But yeah, even though it wasn't a, a tough set of questions, I thought nevertheless they came across Parkinson as... Meg Ryan. Yeah. That's really awkward, that one. Very sexist. Don't look it up. No. Yeah, what I wanted to say was they yeah, they, they come across as, as being very open, very decent people, with a genuine sort of warmth for the club and the people of York, which I think it's difficult to sort of fake that sort of thing. I would agree with that. It's always nice to hear the region being referenced, isn't it? Because you know, these these rich people can buy a football club anywhere. We've seen a situation that was at South End very very recently, and Scunthorpe. There, by the grace of God, goes York City. It's not happened to us, thank thank goodness. But we're a very lucky um, bunch of people. We well, most of us come from quite a nice part of the world, York and Yorkshire, North Yorkshire. Um, so to, you know, Julian just wax lyrical, doesn't she, about the region as a whole? She you know saw it as something as a holiday home previously, which is nice enough. And then to get involved in something close to the community, I think she uh, really likes that, doesn't she, based on uh, what she said. Yeah, and I, th- I think the overall sense was that maybe there's more work to be done behind the scenes than they realised, but that they're you know, committed to making it happen. So, yeah, I think I think overall came away from that feeling quite encouraged. Um, there's another interview with 
Dipper Akinyemi from the Beyond the 92 podcast or uh, YouTube series uh, run by 2X City players, so Jamal Firefield and Femi Ilisamni. Um, did you give this one a watch, Ben? It was a bit longer. I think it was over an hour. Um, I caught some of it uh, in terms of uh, people's coverage of it. I haven't watched the whole thing. But um, I caught some of the more um, eye-catching moments, particularly Dippo talking about his situation before uh, signing for York City uh, and, the, and the change that signing for York has made to in his life and his career, which was very endearing. I heard about Fifield explaining to Dippo about the nights under the lights at Boom and Crescent. Which I don't think I can handle just yet because uh, I'll just be bawling my eyes out remembering those days. And finally, I believe uh, Femi had some lovely things to say about one Jackie McNamara. So I think it covered all the bases to be totally honest with you, didn't it? Yeah, I mean it was a it was quite revealing in some ways. Yeah, Firefield spoke very fondly of his time at the club, but just sort of concentrating on Dippo, I thought he came across really well. He's obviously a very driven person. It seemed like he maybe had some kind of like epiphany during lockdowns because he was talking about being quite sort of badly overweight well, or as he saw it anyway for sort of for an athlete he stepped on the scales and suddenly thought oh, you know what am I what am I doing I've, I've let myself go in lockdown I'm not going to fulfill my potential as a footballer and he's sort of really you know over the past couple of years been really sort of committed to making himself the best version he can be um, he was talking about that he was working for Deliveroo as recently as last year, um, and and that that was you know further incentive to just try and reach the highest level he can. So yeah, he, he just comes across as someone who is who is really committed to sort of continually improving. And he said he thinks he still can improve this season because he's not had a proper preseason, which is uh, slightly scary for opposition defenses. <laughs> um, also revealed that he's not been through the city of York properly yet, which uh, I think uh, we'd we'd like to, on behalf of the same old city, offer to take him around some of the finest alehouses in, in York <laughs> and uh, introduce him to the uh, the joys of, of those. If this is him like playing with a 7 out of 10 commitment, I'm not saying he's not committed, of course, but if this is him playing with like a, a lack of understanding for the people of York, and if he could kick up a gear, kick up a gear if you know he has a look around a minster, then, you know, Woe betide the uh, National League defenders after he has that little look, look around the Minster, after we take him on the Railway Museum, because he's just he's so good already, you know. You're saying we just need to get him to Betty's, get a fat rascal down his neck, and then oh, he'll, be, uh, he'll, yes. be, he'll be knocking in a hat trick. Take him to one of those really weird, like Roman um, reenactment things that take place. Is it Romans or is it the Vikings that do him? I can't remember. I think they probably both do him, don't they? Both do. Both equally good reenactments. Take him to both, you know? Exactly. Let him choose, if anything. Ethan Henderson, Ethan Henderson is currently injured. Ethan Henderson, well, that about sums up uh, what's been going on at the club recently. Let's quickly look ahead to what's coming up over the next week. So, we have a couple more away trips another long one on saturday we are going to eastley i say we are going to eastley um i'm not going to eastley due to having um seven pounds of a bank account but also um some semblance of sanity however i can confirm the trusty ken twix helicopter is gonna be dusted off Ooh. gonna get out the hangar and it's gonna be 
flying over the North Sea, and I'll be watching it on on a stream. Give my regards to your pilot as always. Will do. But yeah, what are we expecting from the from the Eastley game? So they're eleventh in the league. They've only lost once at home all season, although it was a six nil defeat to Gateshead. Mm-hmm. Um, they sacked the manager earlier on, um, and they've appointed Richard Hill, who I think's managed them before. Mm, um, Dick Hill, yeah. Yeah, well, they've been uphill since then because uh, <laughs> form's improved. They've got striker Paul McCallum's already on 10 goals. Last season, we lost 1-0 away at Eastleigh. Yeah, since then, but it was a free kick, wasn't it, from what I reckon the call? In February. Yeah, during that panicked relegation dogfight. But what are we expecting this time round? Honestly, God knows. It's such a weird time at the moment in terms of, uh, you know, the... Noticeable anger from from Ardley, the bizarre performances coming from certain players in the first eleven. I, I won't even say first eleven from the squad. Some players that you might consider bench players coming in and, and not doing um, well enough. So I've got no idea. I mean, there could be something monumentally crazy. We might turn up to uh, to um, Eastley and win three 0 I mean, I don't expect anything daft like that. But it, it's such a bizarre time at the club at present. Um, we, we've seen with what happened at at Dagenham and at Woking. Um, we have these bizarre moments up our sleeve where we can just pull the irons out of, out of the fire and get a result. So, uh, Eastley don't look any great shakes. They've had some good home performances and some good home results. Bit of a mixed bag. I won't say I'm overtly, you know, worried or scared by them. I'm just more worried about our own limitations and what's holding us back at present. Yeah, I mean, I'd agree. I still don't really have any idea of how good we are or any sense of how good the squad is or. It's potential. I mean, we know we've got some decent players. There's no question about that. But what Ardley can do with them and, and where we should be looking to finish in the table is still really a bit of a mystery. I mean, we've been been quite downbeat on this part after a fairly disappointing couple of games, but we had seen signs of improvement before that. So maybe it'll just be an anomaly and we'll, <clears throat> we'll continue to make progress in the league. But having said all that, could I get your official Ben Aspinall prediction for the Eastleigh game, please? I'm going to go for a 1-1 draw. You are liking these score draws. Well, so are York City. That's the problem. This is a good point. Well made. But yeah, not long after that, we make another journey across to Chesterfield, who are doing quite well. They're top of the league. If you look at their last 10 league games, they have won nine and drawn one. In the FA Cup, they beat Kettering 5-0. But we did win their last season. Against all odds. Inexplicably, we yes, we did win there last season. Um, unfortunately, we don't have Michael Duckworth available to smash it in from 40 yards, but we'll have to make do and mend. So, yeah, that's obviously anything there, I think, is a bonus. They look to be running away with the league a little bit. So what's your prediction for this one? 3-0. Uh, 3-0 York. If that makes you sleep better, Simon, yes. No, I, I need to know which, which way you, you're calling that so that I can clip it in. 3-0 to Chesterfield. Okay. Yeah, I hope we've not been uh, too downbeat today with our assessment. But um, yeah, we, club hasn't given us too much to get excited about in the last couple of FA Cup games. But thanks as ever for your support and for your listening. We've um, we have made it past five hundred followers on Twitter quite comfortably now after the uh, little stunt of uh, offering a, a free prize to our five hundredth follower. There was a bit of controversy, wasn't there, Ben? Yeah, two two people both pro- providing screenshots that showed they were with a 500 follower, which um, I'll be honest with you, I just didn't need. No, yeah, we were sort of texting each other saying, you know, what, what do we do? 
they would do a one option was actually just like stop doing the pod, just like go just ghost the entire York City fan base. That would be less awkward than than what we went on to do. Yeah, what we went on to do was basically because we couldn't figure out a way to find out who actually was the 500th follower. We, we blocked them both. <laughs> We've awarded them the joint honour of being our 500th follower. Um, and their free mystery prizes uh, were posted out. Yeah, so yeah, we bottled that one a bit, let's be fair. But, you know, we didn't have any VAR, we didn't have any technology to refer to. And we'll never run a similar contest again, I think. It was very much our own in-house hashtag promote too, wasn't it? <laughs> we didn't really need to just give the prize to two Altrium fans, did we? <laughs> rules are rules. Yeah, um, but yeah, congratulations to our two winners, which was uh, which was Lewis Tildesley and Alex F York City. So yeah, they have joined the uh, ever-growing Same Old City following. Just, just so I know, they they both still follow us, right? I haven't checked. God, that would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Taking a prize and blocking us—we deserve nothing less. But yeah, if you if you do enjoy Same Old City, uh, please do give us a rating or review on your podcast platform. That uh, helps us to to reach a broader audience. And we did bring out a retro rewind episode earlier this week. It was a. Uh, Another instalment of the quiz, a question of York, wasn't it, Ben? And you've mocked up a fairly horrific graphic of us two next to Sue Barker, I would say, for the for the artwork. That's absolutely correct. So you're Phil Tufnell, and I'm Matt Dawson. I don't know. You do. You made the image. It's Matt Dawson. Sorry, you got to forgive me. I stopped watching when uh, Ian Botham packed it in. Packed what in? A qu- watching a question of sport. All right. Just thinking, maybe Ian both have packed something else away. But um, no, it's weird because <laughs> the shirt Phil Tufnell's wearing, I so I feel like I we- I own that shirt. But um, you haven't really made the effort to to change my skin color to match his sort of heavily made up studio skin, so it does look like I'm a, a ghost. Yes, you do. I won't lie to you, Simon. You do look like you've been photoshopped into the image. Sorry about that. <laughs> but yeah, do give that one a listen if you want to test yourself against our. YCFC trivia. It was a great episode. I really enjoyed doing the research. I really enjoyed taking part in in Simon's quiz, Simon's questions. Um, we won't do any spoilers, but needless to say, we're, we've probably ha- we probably have fallen out about it. But yes, do give that one a listen if you want something a bit uh, a bit light. But otherwise, we shall see you again next week for our recap of the glorious victories over Eastleigh and Chesterfield. But until then, keep the faith. <laughs>